so we're in a um, series we started in the book of Romans. And uh, we're working our way through that during the season of Lent and I think beyond as well. Um, and what we've been uh, talking about is, or what we talked about for the first time last week, was going through the, fir the first chapter and exploring this idea of source and resource and that much of our lives are lived around um, getting attached to the sources, to the resources as sources, as these are the things that are going to bring meaning to my life. And there are several different, many different ways that people do this. For some, it's actual possessions. These things I need more of. And, um, and unthinkingly, many of us pursue those things, or it's, or it's just money, or it's success, or it's security and safety and the constant fixation on trying to be safe and secure in your world or feeling supported, or it's uh, the needing to be helpful to other people as a means to finally being loved. There's all sorts of ways that people go about doing these things in an unconscious way and Paul begins his letter in Romans chapter one by saying that there's this thing called idolatry and he would have, and he was addressing the, a, a very Jewish and Gentile mixed group of people in the city of Rome. And there were many churches or not many, but there were a number of churches that he's writing to and saying, as they're coming together, Jews and Gentiles, he is, um, he is explaining or starting out his letter by setting something up. And a lot of what Paul does is to set things up at the beginning that seem to be, is this his point when actually these are more supportive ideas that then he gets to his deeper point later on in the book. So when he starts off by saying, hey, look, uh, there's idolatry going on. His point isn't to address idolatry as that's the problem that's going on in the church and I want to deal with that. What he's doing is, is he's setting it up by saying all of us are idolaters. That's the reason why God has given us grace and is showing us a new way forward. Um, it's not like, oh, you're all okay because you're idolaters. It's no, guess what? You're all idolaters. You're all, you know, uh, under, uh, under the, uh, the wrath of God in a sense, because you're all experiencing consequences for your, your, your behaviors. And, the result is that it's destructive in your lives. And that's what he's doing in chapter one is he's saying, look at what happens when you begin to look at the resources in your life as the source and you cling to them. You know, it's, it's an easy example to use and maybe something we've all seen or experienced, but it's the, it's the parent that can't let go of the child. And they cling so tightly that they actually begin to create a major problem within the relationship because they can't let go. And the child starts to grow and individuate and wants to have some distance and separation, or they don't. And they become forever dependent on mom or dad. Right? And then when you look at that from the outside, you, you, you might at first look at it and go, wow, how much they love their child. But then if you're on the inside and you're experiencing that, your take on it is very different. It's not how much they love me. It's how much they're trying to what? Suffocate me, control me, right? Like, I know they do love me, but it's turned into something else. Right? It's, become, it's become a problem. It's become destructive in my life. Okay. So we do this with all sorts of things, right? So that's a, just one illustration. But there's all kinds. The, the, let's take the, the uber wealthy person who has um, many, 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 many millions of dollars. And... 
they get so worked up over something that um, maybe they were, maybe they spent too much money, or someone that is spending their money spent two dollars more than what they should have, and they work themselves up to a frenzy, yelling and screaming, and 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 you know ripping into this person, threatening them because they spent two dollars more on a product on something than they should have. Meanwhile, this person has so many millions that it has zero in, uh, impact or effect on them. Now, it's one thing to be fiscally conservative and be smart about that. That's one thing. But when you lose your poop over something like that, you know what's going on. There's a different issue at heart, right? It's like you are touching my source. It's not a resource any longer. It's a source. It's become my idol. Right? So that's the, this is what begins to happen when these things take place in our lives. So this is what he sets up in chapter 1. And then what he does is he moves down to a list of this is the result of, uh, of this, this idolatry. This is what happens is you get all kinds of behaviors that are destructive. And in that list, there's also a passage, there's also a section that talks about uh, the issue of men starting to lust after men and women lusting after other women. And that has been used oftentimes as a support text for um, those who, you know, for one side, those who are against LGBTQ or against gay marriage, and, those, and then others who have argued it from a different standpoint, saying that no longer applies, and arguing for the other side. Whatever's going on in that text, I just want to say this. I'm not going to address this issue this morning. Oh, damn. I know, I'm sorry. I'm not going to address it this morning, because what I want to do is treat the book, the way it should be treated, which is to ask the questions or answer the question that Romans is actually dealing with, not the questions we're dealing with today. We'll get to that at a later time, not today. But first we have to tackle what is, the, what is this saying? What is this actually addressing? And this is not a surreptitious way or sneaky way or stealthy way on my part <laughs> to avoid it or to try to slip in a view to try to manipulate you. Yeah. I'm already aware of what I might ten my tendencies are. I'm very aware of them. I'm aware of them right now in this moment. And, and I can tell you that that's not what's going on. What I first want to do is to ensure that what we're doing is treating the text the way it actually should be treated. From there, you can make your arguments and have different views. We don't have a we view in our church. We have many views in our church. We do have we practices, though where we say in terms of how we treat one another, it has to be a self-giving love, a sacrificial love for all people. Right? That's what we land on. And the practices, those things are much more important to us. But what's going on here is it's a lust as a result of idolatry. It is when we cannot control ourselves that we begin to take advantage of other people. This isn't a love. Love, think about this. When you lust after something and you turn a resource, a resource into a source and you begin to worship it, does that come from a place of self-giving love? It's about what it can do for me. Are you with me so far? So whatever's going on in this passage has nothing to do with self-giving love to another person. It has everything to do with what I can take and consume. That's why it makes sense of the rest 
of the text, which gets into a list of all kinds of other sins that are very clearly self-taking kind of sins. This is abusing of other people, violence, that sort of thing. Right? And, and it'll make a whole lot of sense if you, if you can, for a second, take the hot button issue and set it. It's really difficult for us to do, but set it aside for a moment. If you can get a hold of this, it will make tremendous sense of the rest of the book of Romans. Because if you just sort of get fixated on something, then you're all over the place and you won't get a sense of what Romans is actually dealing with. So Romans is dealing with something that is unprecedented in its day. It's dealing with, for the first time ever, there's Jews and Gentiles who are worshiping together under the same roof. That has never happened. It would be like extreme liberals, Bernie Sanders supporters and Trump supporters, sitting in the same service. Uh, it would be almost to that extreme. All along. And, and somehow managing, well, they weren't getting along then in Paul's day. <laughs> and that's the good news for all of us. <laughs> it's just a work. It's what it is. It's work. You got to make it happen, right? So it's not like, oh, welcome to Kumbaya Village. We have, we have figured it out, man. It is real sweet here. Everybody gets along. Everybody loves each other. No fighting. Um, it, no, that's not the case. But it's learning how to do it, learning how to do conflict. And Paul really, I think, gets at that. This is how we do conflict. If you're going to do conflict, do it well. All right. Right, so so to, to marriages, whenever I give, uh, you know, do any sort of work with marriages or couples, I tell them, look at. Don't, don't, don't set up your, your relationship uh, you know, with this hope that you'll never have conflict. That's, that's, that's going to be destructive to you. In fact, understand you're going to have conflict, accept it, welcome it, and then learn how to do it well. It's, it's, it's the way forward. So, all right, so Romans sets this up. Romans 1 sets up what will happen in Romans 2. Romans 1 is he's saying, look, all kinds of people, um, or, or people, there are people, he doesn't say who, he sets it up by saying there are people who have become idolaters. And the Jews are going, yeah, clearly the Gentiles. <laughs> so he's feeling pretty, the, the, the Jews are feeling pretty good at this point. And then what Paul does is in chapter two, as I mentioned last week, he flips it and says, guess what? You're all idolaters, Jews and Gentiles. And the Jews would have been really, they would have lost their poop again because they would have thought he is clearly talking about the Gentiles because we've been working really hard at not committing idolatry. That's what got us to exile in the beginning. That's the reason why we're under the thumb of Rome right now is because at one point we were idolaters. We've stopped. Now we worship Yahweh, the true God, among all these other gods. And Paul says, no, you're an idolater too. And here's how. Every time you turn a resource into a source, you've become an idolater. And every one of them would have said, dang it, because we know that that's true. We know that it's true when we tune in and pay attention to our own drives, our own compulsions. All right, all right so this is the point he's making. We're all there. So this is where we get into um, chapter three, which is where I want to begin or continue. What I want to do is, is create, the reason why I took so much time on chapter one and two again with you is because what I want you to understand more than anything is the flow of, Roman, of Romans thought of Paul's thought through the book of Romans. If you can understand his logic, his rationality, then you'll remember the book of Romans and you'll start to understand and read it well. 
Because a lot of times people read the book of Romans, but what they're doing is they're reading passages from it and trying to, and, and it immediately reminds them of certain sermons they heard or explanations they heard about certain verses that then that's how they understand the book of Romans rather than understanding it as one thought over 16 chapters. So it's not one idea. It's, I shouldn't say it's one thought. It's many thoughts, but it's one big idea that's being communicated through the book of Romans. Uh, and it's, one, it's sort of a, a, a well-developed thought that once you understand it, makes sense of all the details. There are a lot of details we won't ever um, be able to fully understand, but at least we'll get a major a, a kind of a sense of, of, the, of the narrative. And that's what I'm trying to do for you guys through the book of Romans. So Romans chapter 3 um, Paul is uh, moving from, okay, so you've had, we've done this thing of source over um, resource, uh, trying to go back to source and not looking at resource as source. And then we've talked about the list of, of sins that he goes through as examples of what happens when we are idolatrous in worshiping uh, these resources. And then in chapter two, he says, but here's what happens. There are some people who um, uh, Gentiles who are uncircumcised in the flesh. So circumcision for Jews was a rite of entry. It's like baptism for, for, um, for Catholics, let's say, because kids are baptized or christened as babies, and that means that, they're all, that they've become Catholic, and that means that they're guaranteed heaven um, so long as they follow the other sacraments. And, you know, it's, it's, there's this sort of, this is your entrance into the Catholic faith and, and then into heaven. And for Jews, it was very similar. It was the, the circumcision as males would guarantee you to be able to enter in and become, you know, part of the God's people, chosen people, and therefore favored by God. And Paul says, here's the thing that even though you follow the law as Jews, it never actually dealt with the idolatry of your heart. It was still present within you. But there are Gentiles, and this is in the end of chapter 2. If you read this carefully, it'll throw you off because he says that there are some Gentiles who without the law, this would be like saying there are people who are outside of the evangelical faith or outside of Christianity. It's the same argument. Who because of something that's happened to them, they are following the law without the law, and therefore they are justified. Now this will mess with a lot of evangelicals because we believe that people must convert in the same way Jewish Jews thought that people must convert to Judaism in order to get access to God, we have believed as evangelicals that you must convert to, to our faith, our brand of faith, in order to have access to God. But, he, but this is the whole entire point of Romans, is he's saying this is no longer the way God is doing things. That instead what God is doing is he has, and this is where it gets really, like, when you see this, you can't unsee it. Once you see it, It'll mess with you because you'll see it through the whole book of Romans and then through Galatians and then through Ephesians and then through First um, Corinthians. You'll see it there as well. But look at this. Romans chapter three, verse nine. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. For, and jump down to uh, verse 28, for we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? 
That should trouble you. Or maybe not. Because what he's saying is he's not saying, well, you know, as the argument has gone oftentimes among evangelical Christians like us, that we uh, worship the true God. And people are, who are outside of us are not worshiping the true God and don't know God or are not known by God or not, don't have access to God. And what he is saying is there's only one God who is the God of both Jews and non-Jews or Gentiles, both Christians and non-Christians. Now, that does not mean that that means everybody is okay to live as they are, and they're fine, and there's no consequences to anything, and God is just like, hey, everybody, just hang out. I've I've erased everything. There's no problems. Now you can do whatever you want. Because Paul is actually saying, no, that's that's a major part of the problem I'm trying to address here, is that there's all this kind of ugliness within us that we also have to deal with, right? But the way of dealing with it is not through becoming converted to a particular religious group any longer. Your access to God is not by entering through Judaism and then finally getting access to God and getting forgiveness and favor and all that, nor is it today by entering into the evangelical system, as it were, or becoming a Baptist or a Pentecostal or a a charismatic or whatever it is that you're becoming. That is not the way in. It is because you have believed. This is, this is the thing that Paul is saying over and over again in Romans. You are justified by one thing and one thing alone, and that's by faith. And there are some people who have tuned into this and have done that. So is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. So there we go. Paul's going to say, you don't, you, it's not about no law. It's not about like you can do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it because you've done that. And that's, the, that's, that's idolatry. And what does that produce in your lives? Not very good things. But the way that we go about it is that you go about it through faith instead of through belonging to a particular group and hoping that by belonging to that group and by following all these rules and all these uh, rituals and practices that somehow you will finally get rid of sin in your life or you'll finally have access to God or you'll finally feel secure. And a lot of times... That's the way we think and we behave. And the result, Paul says, is that these things produce a whole lot of problems in your life. That if you walk by faith, if you, if you act in faith, then, um, then you too have access to God. So, um, so we're justified by faith. And um, what that means now um, is... Uh, what? What does justified by faith mean? Uh, some people would say, well, it's faith in Jesus. Okay, but what does that mean, faith in Jesus? Um, it's, it's faith in, in what exactly? I'll give you an example of a conversation I had. Say, say that again, Neil. Faith in God's provision for our sin. Okay. Faith in God's provision through Jesus for our sin. We're going to talk a lot more about this. This is, this is the atonement language. We're going to talk about that in the weeks to come. 
um, to explain what does it mean that Jesus died for our sins, because there's a lot of confusion around that. Um, because if you believe that Jesus died for your sins and that that means you're good, well, then it has, it has only one thing in effect. It, it creates maybe gratitude for you in, in you for that, which is wonderful, and it should. But, in but, but on a practical level, how do you live that out? And, and, and what effects does it have for us today? So we'll, we're going to look at that in the weeks to come. But what I want to talk about is specifically what is he talking about here in chapters 1 through 3 with just, when he's talking about justified, being justified by faith is that there's a justification or there's a walk of faith that means that you, by behavior, by acting, you are living in a way that you are saying this source or this resource is not my source. And that's an act of faith. Because every one of us has something that we lean on that we believe will be our source. If I do this, if I have this, then I will be okay. And it takes a great act of faith to move away from that. And this is the reason why we're doing the season of fasting and of, uh, through the season of Lent. It's because there is something within every single one of us that tells us that this is the way we get whatever it is that we need. And when you tune into that and you fast that, you are essentially saying, this is no longer my source. I'm choosing to die to it because I want to know the true source of all life. And when you do that, that's the act of faith. That's the walk of faith. I had a client who um, some months back, she said to me, you know, I, um, I have a problem. I have my problem is that I, I tend to help people all the time, like too much. And she said, I, um, I do it so compulsively that um, someone in my family, extended family, will call me and say, hey, I need, um, I've got an issue, I've got a problem. And before they're even done, I'm already starting to think of ways I can, I can fix that for them, I can help them. And then what I end up doing is I commit myself to helping them. And then I realize that when I commit myself, it oftentimes means that, there's, that I'm affecting my family in some way and I didn't even think of it. I didn't think of it at the moment and suddenly I find myself in a pickle because now I've got this commitment I've just made and my, and, and my own family is like, yeah, but what about this? And so she kept getting herself in trouble by doing this. And it was because if the compulsion that was underneath that was if I finally, if I do enough help, if I serve enough people, if I love my family, if I do all these things, and finally I will be loved and wanted. That was, what's, that was what was functioning underneath all of that. And when I said, so you're going to have to say no. You're going to have to say, you're going to have to pause on that and say, I can't do that. Or let me get back to you and talk to my family first. And she said, that's really, really hard. <laughs> that is, yes, that is very hard, right? Because I touched on what? We touched on the real compulsion, believing that that resource, which is these people in my life, if I can finally serve them enough, then finally my own needs will be met. I will be wanted. I will be loved. And now you're telling me I have to stop. I have to, I have to somehow not stop entirely, but like pull back on that. Yeah. And I literally said, this is what fasting is. 
Because fasting means I'm choosing to say that that is not my source, but that God is my source. And I will find that to be true in this season. And this is, this is real faith, folks. The other stuff that we talk about when it's like belief in Jesus, it's up here. Most of when we say we believe in Jesus, most of it's up here. When, when we say, oh, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, I believe he died for me, most of it is up here. When it gets down to here, it means, do you really believe that to the degree that you're going to actually fast your compulsion? Because when you do, you're going to feel it. And guess what's going to happen in that? What we talked about, the three things we talked about last week, you're going to have to live your life and you're going to have to die. And then you'll be resurrected. What Jesus did on the cross wasn't, hey guys, I did this for you guys. You don't, I'm the hero. You're good now. It was, no, I'm showing you the way. I'm showing you the way to your own freedom, folks. It's the same path I went through you're going to have to go through. There is no other way. Well, well but I, be- I belong, to, I belong to, to church. I go to, I, you know, I read my Bible. I'm an evangelical. I've been, a, I've been saved for 25 years. I got to, and, and, and yeah, and that's all wonderful. But you know what? You still have to follow Jesus and you still have to carry your cross. You still have to die and you still have to be resurrected. And so in what way have you experienced that? And are you experiencing that now? And that's really the challenge. So this is why every time I have these conversations with people, when we get to this core issue, I always come back to this is faith. This is what real faith looks like. Because <laughs> every time we go to our, our, our resources and we keep going to our resources for life, we are actually putting our faith in that, saying that is my life. If I'm finally strong enough, if I can have enough energy and power within me, I will then never be taken advantage of what is that? That is the compulsion that chases after these things in order to feel safe, in order to feel ready to meet the world. Whatever it is that's going on, that becomes your resource. And that is where your faith is in, what your faith is in. Instead of faith being in that through vulnerability and through tenderness and through weakness, I'm actually strong. This is why you hear Paul saying, when I am weak, Christ is strong within me. If I can make sure that everything is safe all the time, you know, I've always got to be alert because there's always danger around waiting to get me and waiting to get the people I love. If your attention's always there, that is where the resource is, is I must make sure everything is okay. But in doing so, your faith is in that somehow if I can anticipate the danger that's coming around the corner, I can be safe. (laughs) And fasting that means I'm no longer putting my faith in that. I'm going to put my faith that all is well, right? If I can finally be good enough, I just got to be good. If I can be successful enough, if I can have as much, you know, there's all these kinds of things happening inside us. Faith is what's going to be required of us through this season of Lent. So I want to um, hear from uh, Sue because Sue, you had quite an experience when you did your your fasting last season. Yeah, I did. So why don't you come on up and, and share with us and um, talk about this because I think it, it ties in with a lot of things we're saying this morning. Okay. Sure. So in June of last year, um, 
the subject was brought up about fasting, and <laughs> I don't want to hear that four-letter word. <laughs> Um, I really, I struggled because the Lord, like, just really started speaking to me. And he said, sugar, 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 sugar. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, I, uh, I was a non-compliant diabetic. And every tooth in my mouth is a sweet tooth. I said, I'll die. There's just no way that I could give up sugar. Just no way. And I wasn't thinking about, um, like, looking on cans and labels and things like to see if there was any sugar in anything. But just, you know, thinking basically, you know, cookies, candy, ice cream, all that yummy good stuff, you know. And um, But the Lord wouldn't let me off the hook. And he said, you know, if I ask you to do something, I'm going to help you get through it. You know, I'll walk you through this thing. And I said, okay. And I was really scared. I wrote up on the board, sugar. I also gave up um, social media. But after sugar, I drew a picture of me with tearing my hair out. <laughs> that was a real act of faith there, you know. And uh, I thought, I don't know how I'm going to do this. But I really felt that that was that was a hand of god in my life because saying it writing it down committing to it i really knew it was serious business and i couldn't cheat and so i started um to do this and uh it was really something that was the weekend that carolyn wilchar had the ladies come up to her campground up north in new hampshire and I had not been on sugar for a few days. And the effects on my body, just to show you how much my body was made of just 100% cane sugar. <laughs> I was sick. I was so sick. I was sweating. I was um, weak. I was um, faint. And, I would, and the ladies were, like, really worried about me. You know, like, are you going to die? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I think I'm going great. And, but I knew that I could, you know, the Lord just carried me through it. And then one night, we were all around the campfire, and they passed out the stuff of s'mores. I'm like, oh, God. And, but God had spoken to me and said, you need to find something sweet and natural that's good to substitute for that. You know, you know they're going to bring cookies. You know they're going to bring good stuff. Pepsi and all that yummy stuff, you know. And so I, um, I brought some grapes. And they're all stuffing their faces with chocolate and marshmallow and graham crackers. And I'm eating grapes. And I'm telling you, it was, a, it was an epiphany. I had never tasted grapes as sweet. I mean, I always, I was the type of person who put sugar on cantaloupe. I'm not kidding you. And so I tasted a grape and I thought, this is the sweetest thing I've ever tasted. Wow, I can do this. I can eat grapes. I don't have to eat s'mores. So God was starting to do a work on my mind, you know, as I'm going through this 40-day uh, process. And my family was astonished because they're all sugar addicts too. <laughs> and my father was the one that started me with sugar on cantaloupe, so it goes back. 
And so I got through the 40 days and I, I had talked to my doctors and they was, and I told them how I had felt initially that first week. I was so weak I could hardly stand up. He said, well, you know, sugar addiction's not that far off from cocaine. It does the same thing in your brain. And so when you withdraw from something that you are constantly feeding yourself, you're going to have a physical reaction. You know, and I was like, wow, it's like drugs. I didn't know that. But I got through the 40 days, and I didn't cheat because I was scared of a lightning bolt. <laughs> you can't stand up in the house of God and say you're going to do this and then not do it. No, no. So the fear of God, you know. But I didn't do I didn't cheat and at the end of the 40 days I lost 11 pounds and that was really nice and So yeah, that was really good. And then um I started thinking to myself, well, sugar's probably the hardest thing that I've ever had to give up. And now I can't eat it without it, you know, most, I can't drink soda, I can't drink iced tea with sugar in it, I can't, it's like, there are certain things I just cannot, I can't take the taste of it anymore, which to me is a miracle, I mean, it really is. So um, I said, I think I'll just keep going with this, I think I'll start acting like a, a diabetic and start eating correctly. And I started to um, eat on a diabetic diet, mostly vegetables and fruits, water instead of, you know, sweet drinks. And um, up to this point, I've lost over 50 pounds. So, you know, it's like, wow. <laughs> and, um, but the Lord was like just changing my mind about... Um, what's important, you know, and, 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 but he, with my doctor, my doctor said that she wanted me to pick a, one day a week where I could have myself, whatever I wanted, you know, that you could set yourself up for like a, a deprivation feeling and then you go down and you, you crash. So she said, just pick one day a week where if there was something you were really craving and you really want it, Go ahead and have it. Just don't don't overdo it. But just one day a week, let yourself, you know. And so I pick Sunday. That's a great day. <laughs> so I, that's what I've been doing on Sunday. You know, if there's something I want, a cookie or a scoop of ice cream or something, I let myself have it. But I've been able to, with the Lord's strength and grace, um, continue to lose weight. And my A1C, if you're diabetic, you know this, I went from a 6.8 to a 6.1, which is not it's pre-diabetic I'm no longer diabetic and so my doctors were thrilled with that but the other thing that came as a direct result of that was um, I've been thinking about getting knee surgery um, I've had bone on bone osteoarthritis in my right leg and it's been over 10 years and I was limping and oh, I was in so much pain and um, because I had lost oh because I had lost all that weight, 50 pounds, my surgeon said, okay, we can do this if you want. And because of that, um, losing the weight and having good habits, um, I went through the surgery six weeks ago and they told me that they had never, ever, ever seen anybody recover as fast as I did. They said I was the top 5% of all of his patients. I was climbing the stairs to my bedroom, 14 steps in one week, 
I got my complete range of motion back in like three weeks. <laughs> and uh, he doesn't want to see me for six months. Usually it's like two months or three months. He said, you're, you're doing phenomenal. So I attribute that to the Lord just getting me here, not eating sugar, starting to eat right, my diabetes being, you know, I, I heal. I have a tiny little scar instead of a diabetic scar, which would be still be raw and blistering at this point, you know. And so I just really, I encourage you, you know, that this could be the starting point of something really wonderful in your life. And um, can I say what I'm going to give up now? <laughs> okay, this is going to be fun. Probably some people, they'll, you know. Well, the one thing in my life that is like really I love a lot is politics. And I am a very, uh, I'm independent, so I'm not going to say I'm Democrat or Republican, but I'm very liberal. And I have a hard time keeping my mouth shut and saying negative things. Now, this I think is harder than sugar, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> Because I know some people have seen my Facebook page, huh, Kevin? <laughs> and I, when he does something that I, I, just, I just can't countenance, I start going off the deep end and, and sending memes like thousands at a time, you know. And <laughs> It's the end of the world as we know it, and I just I get really rad. I mean, I just go crazy. And so the Lord whispered to me, and I said, oh, come on, please. How can I keep my mouth shut? You know, and, um, but that's what I have to give up. And I'm hoping this radically changes me. Um, I need to give up uh, saying bad things about him and just, just keep my mouth shut. Trust the Lord that he knows that the United States is going to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> and... Just. Is it? I know. I was gonna say. I was just thinking the same thing. It'll start tomorrow. It'll start tomorrow. So I'm just. This is so, like one last shot before I go for the fast. Here, it's like binging right before you go for your fast. You know, you're like, all right, I'm I'm, I'm gonna fast like burgers, and you're like, I'm going one to McDonald's burger. twelve burgers right here. Yeah, you know? that's my one. I won't yeah. say anything else, but I just want you to know how hard this is gonna be, and pray for me that I'm just believing God to do a, a change in my heart and help me to truly understand that third way that you've talked about because I don't get it still <laughs> I don't get it and I really feel like God is saying to me just shut up trust me and I'll show you that third way by you just locking it up and I don't think I'll blow up and I don't think that you know um, the world will come to an end because I'm not yelling about it I just need to um, trust him to bring me to a different place where I, than where I am. Because I know it's not doing me any good or it's not really helping the situation. So check my Facebook page. If I'm doing it again, get me. I don't think I will because I take it seriously when I make a promise to God and I say, I'm not going to do this. I mean it. So hopefully the end of this fast, I'll be skinnier and I'll learn the third way. So that's my prayer.